This week, I'm thrilled to welcome back on the podcast a very popular guest, Cameron Skinner. So way back on show 61, Cameron and I talked at length about his consistent and religious process for trading options, even though his day job as a real estate investor takes the majority of his focus and attention. Well, Cameron is back for another interview, and this time we dove even deeper into his strategies and how he thinks about risk and the markets. So please enjoy our follow-up conversation with Cameron Skinner. You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently play smarter more profitable trade. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Today, I'm so excited to welcome back to the show, Cameron Skinner. As I said in the intro, back on show number 61, we did a nice little deep dive and interview with Cameron and he got a lot of questions coming out of that episode and continues to get a lot of questions coming out of that episode. So he emailed me and he said, hey, we can definitely jump back on and do another follow-up. I said, great, people have been asking for it. So that's what we did. So I'm going to jump right into it. Hope you guys enjoy today's conversation with Cameron Skinner. All right, so I got Cameron on here. Cameron, how you doing, man? It's good to talk to you again. Doing excellent. Well, good, man. How's everything with family and life and kids? I know we were chatting before we hit recording, but uh, but you've got five, I've got three now. So things are, as you said, exponentially more complicated with more kids. It has definitely been a challenge. Halfway, two years ago, we had Hurricane Michael here in Panama City, Florida, where I live. So my kids lost two months of school. And then last year, right at the end of school, we all went to homeschool. Yeah. And then this year, we don't even know when school's starting. So it's definitely been stressful here locally with the kids. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we have two, one that should have been in preschool and only went a couple times last year. And then by my oldest, she didn't get to finish kindergarten, which she was devastated with. Now she's supposedly going into first grade and they still don't even know what's happening. And school starts in like three weeks or so. Yeah, it's it's tough. I don't know what to do. I I feel terrible for her because the only choices, at least for us, are either they don't go and then she's at home and she's bored out of her mind because we can't do anything, or she goes but she has to wear a mask and sit in front of a computer all day. And I'm like, she's six years old. She can't she can't possibly do that all day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And and I understand the struggle with the local municipalities and governments. You want to try and do the right thing, but it's stressful for us parents because they keep changing it. You know, yes. oh, we're going to open schools. Oh, no, we're going to delay it a, a week. Now we're going to do this. We're going to do online learning. That's so exactly definitely, what they did here. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what they did here. They're like, we are going to make a decision by Friday. Friday comes, we're going to make a decision next Friday. Next Friday, you know, and they just yeah. keep it down the road. So, well, anyways, man, so um, so let's talk options and trading. I know that everyone is super excited to have you back on the show. I am as well. And your original podcast that we did a long time ago now, a couple of years ago, it's still one of our you know, top shows. And I think what has always been so fascinating to me and I think to everyone else is just hearing the story and hearing the background and just kind of understanding a little bit of the mechanics of how you kind of juggle options with everything else. But I thought it was a good idea to have you back on the show. And I know you reached out and said, look, I'm getting a lot of questions from people. Maybe we can jump back on. And, and I thought, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. So, so here we are. And once you kind of take it from there, I know you've been getting just I mean, bombarded with emails and questions related to trading. So maybe we could start chatting back and forth about those. Right. And I think the biggest thing is I'm getting a lot of the same questions over and over again. So 
I kind of want to address some of those and then maybe we can go into to more kind of a overview of kind of how to set up trading plans and strategies. But sure. the, the big questions I got from the original, the original podcast was I think people, a lot of people who get into options might have like an engineering mindset where they want to try and to, when you're putting a plane together, everything has got to be perfect. And so when we talk and we say, Hey, you need to set up this strategy and on the podcast, I said, Hey, I go out two standard deviations, which is about 10% outside the money. Well, that's during normal, normal environments. If volatility spikes, that 2% deviation changes. And so people are saying, well, it's not 2%, it's 8%. Or, you know, I'd get a bunch of questions or it's not 10%, it's 8%. So I'd be getting a lot of questions like that. People trying to, to be very exact. And so what I want to point across in with options, options is more like, I say, it's more like running a business. You're not putting a plane together. It's got to be perfect. You have to have some flexibility with your trading. And that might mean when you're looking at a particular strike, look at, I always look at the open interest, look at how much volume is trading. Because sometimes you might want to move your strike price up or down because then you'll get a tighter bid ask spread. So your profitability improves. Sometimes you want to, you know, sometimes you need to tweak your trades, tweak your strategies. So with changing markets. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, like I'm smiling only because like now you or most people who are in this position understand what I feel like I deal with on a day-to-day basis, or at least our support team does more often than me now, but people are very rigid with their strategies. And to a certain degree, you have to be pretty rigid with your strategies, but there's got to be a little bit of flexibility in there, right? Like, so a tree is very strong and it's secure, but the only reason that a tree survives is because it can bend and move in the wind, right? And that's what I think you have to do. And the particular comment that you had on the deltas and the strike prices, I find that that's the same thing too, where if you say to someone, go out to around a five delta or around a 10 delta, it also is going to be very much dictated on what liquidity looks like out there. Maybe the 10 delta is $5 and the five delta is $4. So like, why would you need to go all the way out to the five delta and save a dollar when you could just easily maybe accomplish the same thing at the 10 delta, right? For a dollar more. And I think it's those types of, you got to kind of flex a little bit to, to make it work, but it's those types of things that I think people get tripped up on. Would you agree? They're so focused on that, that they miss the broad strokes. Right. And I think they're, I'm seeing this a lot. People who gravitate towards options have that mechanical mindset where they want to set it up and then stick to it so rigidly. And I, I try and tell people it's more like running a business and it takes experience to get good at any kind of business. And so if I'm, if I'm an expert at buying and selling Camaros, say, I don't know, it like would be 80s, a good job. 80, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it, be you know, cause I, I like, I'm a car guy. So I like watching those I like those shows where those guys go out and find like vintage cars and buy them and fix them up and sell them. Yeah. My, my wife hates that I record like Megum and Barrett Jackson. Like I have so many hours of DVR recordings and I just, she's like, what are these? I'm like, I just love it. So just don't delete it. Yeah. And so you see those guys, they know when they get a good deal, you know, because they're experts in their field. So when they go out there and they say they see a Camaro for X amount of dollars, they know that it's priced well they just get used to it. And, you, and the market fluctuates. Sometimes Camaros are high, sometimes they're low, but you know, in any given market, when you get a good deal. So in options are the same way. I mean, they're contracts and the pricing is very fluid. When there's a lot of people in the market, of course, they drive up the price of options. And there's a lot of people when it's thinly traded, then those prices drop. 
I keep telling people, you need to don't follow my advice or anybody's advice blindly. You need to really learn options and understand them. You can't just follow someone's system and feel like that you'll be profitable over the long term. Do you feel like you've, and this is just, I guess, just by tone, but do you feel like you're getting people who are coming to you and they're saying, Cameron, I did exactly what you said to do and I did it for five contracts and two trades didn't work out. Do you feel like you get people like that? Is that, you know, kind of the the root of that answer? Well, I keep getting the, how much can I make? How much can I do? You know, and I can tell you what I've done in the past, but I always end every answer with this has worked in the past, but with different market conditions and with different option pricing, this strategy may not be profitable in the future. You know, it all depends on what people are willing to buy and sell those options for in the future because pricing could change. So if I'm getting a dollar a contract now, that might change to 40 cents tomorrow. It might change to 30 cents. I mean, it just depends on, depends on so many variables. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was a good point. I mean, that's the, one of the biggest downsides to backtesting and even backtesting and just historically looking is you're always one looking back, which, you know, has its own drawbacks, but then two, you're just pulling data or just your reference point to that particular time. So if your reference point happens to end at a certain date or a certain month, you know, that was good or bad for the strategy, then it could look better than it is or worse than it is or whatever. But I think that people underestimate the longevity that's required to do it, which goes back to what you were saying about running this like a business and having that kind of feel that you have to get with anything else that you would be good at. I mean, it's no different than truly anything, I guess you could say, any career, any path that you would take. I just think it's interesting that people I just maybe too short-sighted in how they look at things, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think what I try to let people know is, yes, you need to set up a strategy with a large number of similar occurrences, and then you get that strategy going. And that's like you're buying and selling your Camaros. You know Camaros inside and out. And when that strategy is profitable, you've got to tweak it sometimes. You've got to move the strategy around a little bit. But once you get that strategy that's profitable, then you can go into Corvettes and add another strategy. But the big thing is once you, I try and stress, make sure that you set up a trading plan, write it down. A lot of people just, they say, oh, if this happens, I'll do this, I'll do that. And when things start going crazy, like when COVID hit, you've got to stick to your trading plan because if you don't, you'll make emotional decisions. Yeah. I think that's going to be, I'm truly curious as we get closer to our bot platform rollout, which requires people to put in inputs, you know, for lack of a better term, to put in how much they're willing to risk and how many positions they want and what the general trigger points are. Not that they necessarily need to do that the whole time and can't be flexible with opening and closing because you can. But I think that whole process is going to be actually pretty tough for people to actually say, okay, what do I want to do? Right? Because I I feel like most people, uh, and I use the analogy, most people, when they go into the market, they're like ravaged animals and not in a bad connotation, but just like they go in like looking for something to kill right? And it's just hunt, 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 hunt versus going in with a strategy and a game plan and saying, okay, this is what I'm, what I'm after today. And it may be different. It may be, like you said, the pricing may be $1.05 versus a dollar, but it's at least having an idea of what you're trying to accomplish and then be flexible with the implementation. Right. And when you, you know, when you set up that trading plan, you know, make sure that it's, it's reasonable because that's the other question I get. People wanting to make hundred percent return 
you know, in a year and, you know, just unrealistic expectations because you watch some guy on YouTube who said you can make a hundred percent return in options, but they, you can't, I mean, I could, if you just bet pure direction, I mean, you know, we all, me and you know enough that we can make a 300% return, but we could also lose our entire, but the risk, we one quick move in the market, we could lose everything. We get stomped out. So yes, you can make huge returns in options, but the risk reward's just not there. I, I tell people too, it's like, you can also make a lot of money in lottery tickets, but that doesn't mean they're a good investment. Right. Yeah. Why do you think it is that the people don't get that concept? Because we talk about it here all the time. And yeah, I know you talk about it and I talk about it till I'm blue in the face. And why is that concept missed? Why do you think? I'm just curious, like what your opinion is. Like, why do people not understand? And you, if you ask somebody, listen, you can't make hundred percent options or whatever it is. And they'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. But then in the back of their mind, they're like, well, maybe I can because I saw this or I heard this or there's always this like, it's too good to be true, but I kind of want it to be true type mentality. Yeah. I'm not sure what the mindset is, but I'm seeing it more and more in our world. I think because there's a lot of promoters out there who are pumping up unrealistic expectations. And I actually... I'm from the old option house platform that transferred over to E-Trade. Oh my gosh. And yeah, that was right. That was an old, old, old platform. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I started, you know, you know, I started out a long time ago and E-Trade finally bought them out, but I was talking to, um, they assigned me a, a particular person there. So we talk occasionally. He was saying that there, all these people are pouring into, and I've heard that also in Robinhood and all these people are pouring into options because when COVID hit, these people, all these YouTube channels that were like on gambling strategies, you know, for on sports, sports gambling. And since there was no sports, a lot of them switched to options to uh-huh. gamble with options. So interesting. He was saying that that's, they're seeing a lot of really crazy stuff on their side where people yeah. are just using options to bet. Yeah. I think it's all the same stuff. I think it's ultimately, it's the lure of easy money with little effort, right? That right. Always attracts a lot of people. And it's a shame because I mean, said to our team, I sent out a letter to our team every month. And last month, the the topic of the letter, kind of like this inside section was this idea that for me personally, whether anybody else subscribes to this or not, but for me personally, like this is now like doing this podcast, getting information out there, like what we're doing. It's life and death for me now. And for people, because they had that kid on Robinhood who killed himself, right? And we don't know the exact reason, but it's supposedly the reason was because he just didn't understand the exercise and assignment process for a spread. And you get somebody who's coming in there and I see it all the time in these Facebook groups because I just like watch what happens. And all the time in these Facebook groups, I mean, people are just blowing money left and right, but it's the ones who happen to hit it big on a particular trade that get all the likes, comments, shares. How did you do it? How did you whatever, right? I know it's fascinating. It's fascinating to me to see the whole process unfold. Right. Yeah, and we are trying to teach people to use options as an investment strategy, not a speculation gambling strategy. And I think that's the big difference that we need to try and get out there is that you need large number of similar occurrences. You need low position sizes within those separate strategies. You need a lot of tools in your tool belt to handle different market conditions. And you need to be careful not to over leverage and then speculate because a quick move in the market will stomp you out. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what other questions are you getting or is that those are the main ones or are there other questions that you've generally been getting? Yeah, that's the, the main one. So, and I think what I really wanted to stress to people was when we first did the show, which I think was missed a little bit, was you need to set up a consistent mechanical strategy so you get those large number of similar occurrences. Instead of chasing Tesla this week, you know, chasing eBay next week, you know, everyone chasing different, whatever's hot. Right. Because that's when, you, that's when you roll into the speculation. And when you roll into speculation, because of the bid ask spread, eventually you're going to lose to the lose to the platforms, right? Lose yeah. to the market makers. Yeah, and you know it's funny. It's one of the things I've said, and you may or may not have heard me say this, but people listening to this will hear me say this. It's I, I use you as a as a reference all the time, and mostly for and for other things as well, but mostly for your level of consistency, which I think is the most incredible thing. Because what I remember from that show was just like the repetitive nature of what you were doing, right? That it was uber consistent in making sure that you had a very high level of activity on a general basis. Would you still agree that that probably is one of the things that has really served you well? Or or would you say maybe it's changed? Yeah, I, I do what's called my core strategy, you know, whereas going back to it, you know, you sell a credit spread, about 10% out of the money. I keep saying that about. So stress that to everyone out there, about 10% out of the money. Yeah, if you email you know, Cameron and you say it's 9% out, then we're going to have worse. Yeah, and then about 60 days out. So, right. and so don't call me and say there's nothing 60 days out. It's 59 days. So, <laughs> so about 60 days out. If you ever want to deal with a bunch of those emails, come and join our team at some point. Yeah, <laughs> and then, like a- and then use this particular strategy. You know, and I run several strategies congruently. But this is what I call my core strategy. And then I just use the decay of that. You know, I let it decay down to 30 days because going back and looking traditionally, and it can change, but traditionally your best decay when you're 10% out of the money is 60 to about 25 days. So sometimes you need to tweak it because that decay curve will change. You just, you're basically in this strategy, it's just a very simple as our options march to that strike date, when you're out of the money, they decay. In my trading plan, that was another question I get. What do you do if that if they hit the short strike? The market goes down way and you start hitting that short strike. Yeah. You know, mine is if they hit the short strike, I take it off. Because once that credit spread is in the money, then decay starts working against you. And this strategy is purely a decay strategy. Now, when you take it off, you're going to take it off for a loss. But I'm I'm constantly scaling into into that next credit spread, which is farther out of the money. So then that starts another decay. Gotcha. So would you consider that mostly then to be more like in that instance, because we get a lot of these questions too, where they say, okay, if I take one off, do I put one on at a a further strikeout? You can. I mean, you, you can roll it out. And that goes back to your trading plan. When you go to your trading plan, that's what you need to say. Do I roll it out? Or say, say you've got to take three off because it hits that short strike, you know, three or four of them off. Then you say, do I just roll out one or do I roll them out all? And that would be part of your trading plan. Now, me personally, as soon as they hit the short strike, I take them off. I still just add one a day. Then I end up with a little extra capital in my account. And then when things settle down, then I end up scaling back in. Gotcha. Well, you're going to love valuations because we can do that. So that's, that's going to be one of the triggers is did the, did the trade hit my short strike? What do I want to do? 
And I think having those rules in place like that, whether you use automations or just do it manually is important, right? Like whether I'm assuming a lot of people may agree or disagree with the rules or, and I'm assuming that people should agree or disagree and use a strategy that suits them to whatever degree they want. But the idea that I consistently hear from you is staying repetitive and having a rules-based system in place that's somewhat flexible. Right. And that strategy, again, needs to be set up so that it's a reasonable return on investment. So, and I, I keep going back to Warren Buffett became one of the richest men in the world. And if you look at his history, he only made about a 24% return on investment. And the reason why he was able to do that is because, and you put it in a PV calculator and you'll see that, that it just works out. You've just got to be consistent and just get a consistent, a consistent steady return. And so don't try and make a hundred percent return on options. Try and set up your strategy so it's reasonable. Yeah. And even just to loop back around to Buffett, he's interesting for many reasons, but the classic one is that he moved away from the cigar butts, if you will, smoking the last end of the cigar butts as the analogy of ripping the last value out of a stock, going towards more of the value-based investment, you know, that generated more consistent returns, though maybe not necessarily the flashiest of returns, right, in given years. And Buffett's a great analogy because, and I use this all the time, Buffett has gone through, at some points, decades of underperforming the market, right? But still, overall, he is still is one of, if not the most successful investor, right? Definitely. I have some friends and stuff who trade. And what I found is also another good strategy if you want to do this for the long term, is you develop and set up your, what I call, it's my core strategy or your core strategy, whatever that strategy is. But then that can get really boring really quick. And so you set up your core strategy, you know, maybe 60%. Depending on your strategy, you can be, do more or less, but you know, maybe mine's about, mine's 60, never go over 70% of my account value. I use the Kelly criterion to set that up. And I don't know if you've done a, a podcast on that, but that's a good podcast to do. Mm-hmm. So I set up what I need to do to maximize my profitability on that trade. But then I have 10, 15% that I kind of use to do some more aggressive stuff and some more flashy stuff. And it helps keep my interest. So I think it's fine to do some of those more volatility trades, some more, some stuff, but to help keep your interest in options. But, you know, once you develop a plan put that plan into action, you need to see it through. Now, that doesn't mean that plan doesn't need to be tweaked or even thrown out if it's not working. But if you've got a profitable plan, I would stick to it and keep it going as long as that strategy continues to work. Here's the question, right? And this is a question we get all the time. So I'm interested to hear your answer on this too. But what you just said, people would say, okay, totally agree. But you said two things I thought were interesting. One is that you have to have a plan. And you said, if you have a profitable plan, you guys, you know, stick with it. But then you also said, okay, if it's not working, you throw it out. So the question is, how do you know that you've got a profitable plan? How can you be reasonably sure that what you're doing is logical and sound? And then when do you say, okay, it's not working? Well, by the way, this is exactly my response all the time. Cause I'm like, okay, this could go a million different directions. <laughs> so right. when, people say, when people email that, email that in, I'm like, Okay. All right. So how many hours do we have to talk about this? Because this is going to take some time, right? Right. And I think this is where it gets back to, it's not a, we're not building an airplane here. We're building a business. Sometimes there's a little intuitive, hey, is this just my plan's not working right now because the market is 
doing something it has never done before. And it's probably, it's because of COVID. Like I said, if you would have started my strategy a month before COVID hit, you'd be screaming at me. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so you've got to realize, is this just because of market conditions, crazy market conditions that doesn't normally happen, that only happens every 10 years? Is that the reason my strategy isn't working? Or is my strategy not working during normal market conditions? So that would be my answer to that. If you're in normal market conditions and you're not getting a good return on the strategy, then that's when you need to either tweak it, throw it out, revise it. Because I think you sh- if it were me, I would set up my trading because I've got basically two trading plans. I got a trading plan, which is my core strategy in normal market conditions. And then I got a trading plan when, when VIX spikes. And I've got a completely different trading plan that I bolt on top of that because then I take advantage of VIX. Nice. So what do you do there? Usually I just do credit spreads. Very simply, I just, do, I just do call credit spreads just outside of where VIX is trading and try and go, you know, 45, 90 days out. And Debit then just spreads wait for or credit spreads? Credit spreads. Credit and spreads. then just wait for the VIX to collapse. Gotcha. Yep. And then I scale into that because VIX, you know, the VIX can keep marching up. It's not like I go all in, you know, the first day that VIX spikes. So I'll definitely scale in. Yeah, it's actually funny you said that because we had Larry Connors on who talks about he has a VXX strategy, which is very similar when VXX, and then you could use VIX as a surrogate of that. When that spikes, he does the same thing where he does a stair-step progression of scaling into the strategy as it continues to move up, which I've also found as well is that when you get a spike up in VIX, it's usually not the last day, right? Not that it always happens and it's always going to go up, but it's usually not the last time that it's spiking and sometimes it can spike very fast. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's where it comes in to setting up that trading plan where you say, when VIX spikes to this level, I'm going to do a credit spread so wide and I'm going to do 5% of my account value. And then if it goes up so much more, then I'm going to do 10% of my account value. You know, so you, you, or whatever that is, 2%, 3%, you know, you have that trading plan, how to manage the trade or manage the strategy. Yeah. And then if something changes, then you be adaptable and you can work within the guidelines, but at least you had something there in the first place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I think that when I often describe game plans and, and ideas, let me ask you this. You're still involved in real estate, right? Yes. Right. So with real estate, and this is why I tell people with game plans and trading plans and all this stuff is you generally know what works and what doesn't. Or if you don't just generally know from experience, you could probably figure it out, right? So this is where I think backtesting serves a purpose in at least weeding out the things that just flat out do not work, right? And trying to nail down something that does. And the same thing could be said about real estate is like, you know, that generally buying and holding rentals, if you put a decent amount of money down, maybe not leveraged to the hilt, that that generally has worked out. Now, does that mean that every single time that you see a rental property that you have to buy it? No, of course not. There's other factors, but at least you have a concept of what should be working so that if you see a property, you know, and it's priced at X and you can only rent it for Y, you know that that maybe is not a good deal or maybe it's a deal you should pass on. But it's having that concept of the game plan in place, as we were talking about, that I think I don't think anybody does, to be honest. I don't think anybody really says, okay, in this environment, I want to do this. And in this environment, I want to do that. Right. And that's a good point because if you're going to go out and buy a rental property for $100,000, I'll reverse it because more like a contract. If you're going to go out and look at this property, that's going to give you $1,000 a month in rent. How much are you willing to pay for it? So that's how you kind of need to look at the option strategies. Okay. So how much am I willing to pay for this 
income that I can receive? And then what's the risk? How much is my deductible if that thing burns down? You know, if I've got a $10,000 deductible, a 20000 how much risk am I putting on by buying that rental property? Right. How much CapEx or what's the area like? And I even use the analogy of if you buy a rental property and the next day the tenant leaves, that's like a trading strategy where you start a trading strategy and then COVID hits, right? So right, yeah. first property and the tenant leaves and now you're like, go great. Like then now this property, right? But what you don't hear really savvy investors say is you don't hear people go, oh, rental properties, totally the worst. They're a scam. You can't do anything with them. They realize that that is a one-off event, that the tenant leaving was not a function of a bad strategy, Does that make sense? So that's why I try to tell people. It's like when you find, to bring it back around to your point of, you got to figure out like what is not working in your strategy and is it a function of your strategy or is it maybe a function of the environment, you know, that you're in? Did your tenant just leave and that stinks, right? You did, the market just had a bad move and that stinks or is your core strategy wrong, right? Like you bought the wrong property and you can't rent it for enough money. Right, yeah. And, And we're seeing a lot of that where, People are just going out and buying. I don't. <laughs> I hate to, I'm trying to use an example of the rental property, but you're going out and buying a raw piece of land right now and thinking it's going to rent. You don't go out and buy a raw piece of land and expect to make a make a consistent income. Now, some people buy raw land to speculate that land might go up in value. I'm seeing more of that. And what I'm trying to tell people is, there's ways you can use options to make a consistent you know, a consistent income over long periods of time. And if you set those up, I think you'll see that people who you look at all of the different real estate individuals, you don't see many wealthy people who've speculated in land and made a lot of money. The people who make a lot of money in real estate are the ones who look for that consistent, steady income in rental properties. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's fascinating. That's why I like real estate. I like options. I like, I mean, I like all finance. Who am I joking? I'm a, I'm a finance geek for sure. But I think the similarities when you actually break down a lot of different vehicles in which you could invest in, real estate's a fascinating one too, where the concepts are almost identical to options trading, which is probably almost identical to the next investing vertical. Right. Um, and it's fascinating. You know, and it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned going back to my history when I started, because I started in real estate and I had, I started doing rental properties, I would rent a property with an option to purchase. Mm-hmm. And so this is years ago, back when you had to like go and get a book on it. So, so I ordered some books on options, thinking options on real estate and started learning about, and I was like, oh, you can do options on stocks too. <laughs> you know, so, so that's kind of how I got into it. And so that's funny that you mentioned that rental property, they're similar and they can be. Basically, you know, a covered call is you're just renting out your stock, you yeah. know, so with an option to purchase. You're, so yeah, you're a lot reducing of, your cost basis. Why yeah. not try to do it everywhere? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. So, and then that's what, that's kind of what got me into it was like, I was like, well, I've got stock. I can rent out my stock. So just like I rent out this piece of property. So that's what kind of got me into it. But I think it also goes back to what you were saying that on this, the strategies, I see a lot of individuals out there who don't keep a trading log. And it's hard to keep track, especially if you're running multiple strategies, you really need to keep a trading log on each individual strategy you're running because you don't know if you're profitable. So when I see that in my, the real estate business as well, where, because I still do a little bit of tax consulting work that individuals will have, they don't even know what they're making. 
I got money in my bank account, but I don't, you know, and if you've got several different rental properties and you're not keeping track, how do you know which rental property is profitable? And if you've got this other one, you need to get rid of the only way you're going to know what rental properties profitable is if you keep good books. The only way you're going to know which option strategies are your most profitable is if you keep a good trading log. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that the trading log thing is a, a huge issue. We're going to be rolling out a trading journal platform and, and all the bots will have individual. This is actually one of the reasons why I push on our side, on our team to do stats for individual bot strategies or portfolios that you build for this exact reason. Because I think you can silo, let's say this, you can chop up your portfolio into multiple strategies that you're running, very much like what you're saying. And if you just look at the sum total of the whole portfolio, it only gives you context to some degree, right? You don't know what's working. Just like in real estate, you could have 10 properties and you know that four out of five of them generate all the returns. The other ones are just laggers, right? So if you were to potentially cut those off, you could do much better reinvesting money into something that was similar like the ones that are working. And I think it's that level of just even that second level of analysis that is really needed, but it requires work, right? That's the problem is that most people, and I say most people, because not all people, but some people are, are not willing to put in that, that effort to do that. Right. And if you're going to trade options, you really do need to set it up like a business. And if you were like, a rental property or any other kind of active investment, you need to manage your account. If you just want to be a passive investor, just buy the SPY or the diamonds, and then just, you know, set it and forget it. But if you, if you're going to do options, you really definitely need to manage it like a business. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's, I don't know. Well, first of all, you're not a paid spokesman, right? Okay. Agree. Like I don't pay you to come on this podcast. You're definitely no. not affiliated with option alpha. Oh, and, and I tell people I don't sell anything. So yeah. there's a couple of Facebook pages out there and someone was saying, Oh, he, he's a paid something for one of those sites, hey, $25,000 and you um, will teach you options, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I've never done any of that. So I have no, I don't sell anything. I don't, this actually started out as a hobby for me and then just uncovered calls that grew and grew and grew. And I enjoy helping people. Yeah. And that's, so by the way, that's one of the things I truly love about you and love all of our conversations that we've had about this is that side of like coming from giving. And what I was getting at was like, it's so interesting to hear because me and you do not converse on a day-to-day basis. In fact, this is the first time we've chatted since the last time that we chatted. Maybe we traded an email or two here and there, but we really don't like chat about this stuff back and forth. But you are saying the same stuff that I try to like tell people and you just say it differently and have your own way of explaining it. But conceptually, we're in the same ballpark. And that is what I think is so fascinating for me to find is other people who really are disconnected from like the day-to-day interaction with each other, but yet find that the same logic holds true in completely different areas. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. And that's why I I really enjoy what you're doing because I think the the vast majority of people out there are pitching speculation. You're teaching people how to invest, use options to invest, not to, you know, not to speculate. Not to yeah. Not to gamble. <laughs> so, yeah. And even get back around to your, like your business plan idea. I think that, or not even the business plan. I think it's, it's running it like a business and you don't see people open up a restaurant and then walk in and go, okay, well, we'll see if we can make this work. Right. But yet in trading, I do to some degree, I blame brokers in a sense of like, 
the availability of platforms now has gone completely wide. Commissions are completely low. You know, there's no barrier to the market, which is great. But all that being said, it has allowed people to speculate much easier than they would have otherwise. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it took a lot of work to get your account set up, right? And to get everything in order and to figure out what trades to work. Now it's like you can do it in two clicks of a mouse with your thumb and you're done. Right. And then, and I'm trying to think of the term for it. So a survivor bias is what they call it. If you're only seeing the people who won, yes, those are the only, you know, if you, if, if you put $5,000 in a Robinhood account and lost it all in a day, you're not going to post that. Yeah, you're not you sure. Know, but if you, if you turn 5,000 into 10,000, that's all over, all over the forums and the Facebooks and the, and all the different um, social media and the, you know, Reddit. And then so everyone's like, oh, wow, I can do that too. But you didn't see the 10 people who lost everything. You only see the one person who doubled their money. Right. And they could have been using the same strategy. That's the one that gets me. It's like they yeah. could have actually been using the same strategy, just maybe different market, different mechanics, different timing. Different timing. Yeah, different timing. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's the one that fascinates me. It's like, yeah, it could have been the same strategy, just applied completely differently. Right. So, well, good deal, man. So anything else you want to wrap this up with? I think this was a awesome discussion and I really appreciate you again coming back on. I think people are really going to enjoy this. I know I I did a Facebook Live earlier this morning right before we joined and, and it's already got a number of comments and they're like, yes, please bring him back on. One of my favorite episodes. So hopefully I know everyone will enjoy listening to this one when it goes out. But anything else you want to kind of you know wrap up and talk about that's on your mind? No, I, th- I really appreciate you having me on. All right, great, man. Well, I hope it was helpful. I, yeah. hope it was, I hope it's going to be helpful to individuals. I don't know how more to stress, but set up a strategy, write it down, stick to your trading plan as long as it's working, and then also come back. You've got to keep a trading log so you know if it's, you know, you know what's working and know how profitable it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you jumping on. We'll have all the contact info that's relevant in the show notes page. Everyone can check it out over at Option Alpha. But man, thank you so much for jumping on. I know it's early in the morning. You got five kids. I got three kids. So getting out the door is not, not easy in the mornings with multiple children running around. So I really appreciate you jumping on this morning with me. Thanks so much. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hey, Kirk, uh, I'm just researching the sizzle index on Thinkorswim and I've been looking around your YouTube and your website and I've noticed that, or at least I couldn't find, but I've noticed that you you haven't published much about the Sizzle Index and was just seeing if you've used that and, and how you think about it um, or if you kind of stay away from it. All right, thanks. All right, so thank you for submitting the question. And this came in from an anonymous trader out there. So that's fine too. If you guys want to submit your questions, you don't want to say your name or where you're from, cool. We'll add it to the show for sure. The question about the Sizzle Index and basically just why we don't use it or say much about it. Let me just read you really quick what the Sizzle Index is coming off of the Thinkorswim website and how they define it. So they say, 
Quote, the sizzle index is a thinkorswim feature that allows you to find stock symbols that currently see an increase in the number of options traded compared to the last five days on average. Now, it's calculated as the ratio of the current total volume of a put and call option to the arithmetic mean of the daily put and call volumes over the last five days. Individual call and put sizzle index values are also calculated and available in the watch list columns. So that's the end quote. That's basically what they say the sizzle index is. So we have some context. Now, I think that it's interesting personally that you can see a spike in volume and activity and options, but I don't know if it actually gives us any judgment as to say that it means one thing or not for direction of the stock or possible direction of the stock. You could just have somebody who needs to get into a big position or needs to hedge a big position. And that could be a very large portion of the last five trading days of volume. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they think the stock is going down if they buy a bunch of puts, but maybe they're just hedging a position. And likewise, they could just buy a bunch of call options or they could even buy spreads. And so you have to, I think, do a little bit more digging to find out really what was happening, what actually moved, what particular contracts moved and were there offsetting positions as well? Was it just a big spread and maybe you're only looking at one component of it? So as always with volume and open interest, I think it's tough to decipher exactly what is happening in the market. And I sure know that I'm not good at figuring out what those large positions are making those calculated bets. So that's why we don't cover it too much. So is it important? I don't know if it's important to look at. Is it something that's interesting to note? Sure. I definitely think it's something interesting to note at times, though it's not something I wake up in the morning or do every Tuesday is check the sizzle index. I don't look at it at all, but people often write in and say, hey, the sizzle index is this. And you know that's interesting. That's great. If that's a data point for you, wonderful. All right. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this. As always, if you guys have any questions, please leave me a message. Head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask. Just click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. All right, so let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to talk about a new trade that we're making in EEM. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so new trade today that we're making is in the ticker symbol EEM. We're making this at obviously the time that I'm doing this recording, but the reason I like EEM is not only because it's a core ticker for us and we want to trade it, but it's also been on a little bit of an up move just recently. And so what we're doing here is we're selling the bearish call credit spread in this, selling the 46.50 call spread for 74 cents in credit. It's about a $4 wide spread, collecting about 74 cents in credit for these contracts that we're selling. Gives us about a 70, 72% probability of success since we're selling these around a 30 delta. And the reason I like doing some positions like this, and I believe I mentioned this on the podcast, but it's worth re-mentioning again, is because I like to have positions where I can take something off if the market moves the other direction. And so right now we have some bullish positions, we have some bearish positions, we have some neutral ones. And so if the market goes down and EEM goes down or stops rallying back up to where it's at right now, then at least we have something to potentially take off. And so that's why I like these. If we do see EEM continue to rally, and again, our strikes right now set at 46 you know, not even including our break-even point at 46.74 is well above where the stock has peaked out in, in basically early September, late August. So that's where the stock has actually peaked. So our 
strikes are basically right above where the stock peaked, which means that the stock would have to regain the new highs, break through some resistance for us to even start to become challenged on the position. Now, could that happen? Of course, of course it could happen. And so if it does, what I like about doing these is that you can convert them over pretty quickly. So you can take this position, convert it over into an iron butterfly or an iron condor if you want to, and start to reduce some of the risk and increase the total credit, widen out the break-even points, but only if you're challenged. So those are the options that we basically have in this. By the way, we talked about this before on the podcast too, but you can do this with the new auto trading platform. You can set up your management automations to watch for particular triggers to be hit. You can set up an automation that watches to see if the short strike or the long strike of your spread gets hit and then trigger the next trade right on top of that to sell a put spread or to sell a call spread or whatever you want to do. So you can actually do the automations and the adjustments as long as you know what your triggers are and what you have to do after that. You can set all that up inside of the automated trading. So again, that's what we're doing here in EEM, small position to start, first position for November expiration in this one, trading about 49 days out from expiration at the time we're doing this. And it should be a good little trade. We'll see what happens. We can always ladder into more contracts as needed. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here at Option Alpha. But before you go, let's please keep the conversation going. Please connect with me on your favorite social media platform. Let me know what questions, ideas, or thoughts came to mind after listening to today's interview and show with Cameron. Also, I want to let you guys know what we have coming up and what we've been working on here at Option Alpha. I know I said this actually last week, but then I slotted this episode in here before that. But actually next week, we are going to have that podcast episode on the short-term performance of long-term strategies, basically starting to dissect some of these backtesting strategies and start to comb through the micro performance of them in short term and then look at the long term strategies and see if we can gain any insights in doing that. Also, we have a bunch of demos still coming up. So these have been jam packed, super fun. Usually they go in some cases, two and a half, three hours with a lot of Q&A at the end. So most of the demos last about an hour and a half. And then sometimes we do almost an hour, 45 minutes of just open Q&A at the end. If you do want to join one of those demos, head on over to optionalpha.com slash demo, book your slot. We're only going to be doing up up through the end of this month, basically, as we gear up towards the stopping of our lifetime promotion around Elite and obviously start to transition towards some other things that we're going to be working on and most importantly, focusing on people who have joined and are starting to get beta access. Also, we have office hours coming up this Tuesday for Elite members. So if you are an Elite member, you want to join the office hours Q&A, let's just open Q&A, submit your question to me. We get it added to the list and we basically just rifle through a bunch of questions during that time. Always a fun process. I really like doing the office hours and I know a lot of people do too. As always, hope you guys really enjoyed this episode and got least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently place smarter, more profitable trades. Until next time, happy trading.